I came from Buenos Aires, and I came to this country by accident. What happens is, first of all, that it's hard to go back because at some point you're not part of that society anymore. You have been educated here. You grow up professionally in this country. And going back to your home country would be probably harder than staying here. Those were the voices of Tito Gambarini and Rogelio Mignana. Educational and professional opportunities brought both Tito and Rogelio to the United States. For Rogelio, the professional validation of his career as a college professor led to his remaining in his adopted country. While for Tito, his experience as a surgeon, the political oppression in his homeland, and finding love led to his life in the U.S. Hi, I'm John Vosey, executive producer of Words in Transit. Words in Transit is a project of New England Public Radio and is being offered in conjunction with the release of a book of the same name, published by the University of Massachusetts Press. Our goal was to bring the national conversation on immigration home to our community here in western Massachusetts and to present stories of individuals that have settled in the United States from around the world. We spoke with immigrants from Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and Latin America. Here's Tema Silk, the managing director of Words in Transit, to tell us more about Tito and Rogelio. When we interviewed Rogelio Mignana for this project, he was chair of the Mount Holyoke College Spanish Department, but he hails from Valencia, Spain. He'd left Spain in his 20s to get graduate degrees, getting one in Canada and then another in the United States. The plan had been to return to Spain to teach once he'd finished. But one professional opportunity in this country led to others and eventually to Rogelio's decision to settle here. Rogelio believes he can pinpoint the very moment his colleagues really accepted him as an American. It was when he was offered the position of department chair at Mount Holyoke. At this point, though, having lived in a number of American cities, as well as several countries, and having traveled so much for his work, Rogelio describes himself more as a global citizen. He says his life is decidedly richer for having called so many places home. And speaking of that, Rogelio now heads the Spanish department at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Here's Rogelio. I'm from beautiful Valencia, which is the east coast of Spain, where the weather is nice and the winters are very mild. I left Spain in a time of deep economic crisis and high unemployment. And so I came to the U.S. because I wanted to do a PhD in Spanish and, and be a college professor. So I went to Canada first when I was uh, 22 years old. I went to Canada for my master's, and then I came to the States for my PhD. In that sense, I came in a certain privilege because I had a student visa. I had papers. I had an education. I spoke some English, not a lot, but some. And I came into an environment which really embraced me and nurtured me and allowed me to become the college professor that I am today. So I'm very grateful to Ottawa University in Canada for my master's and Penn State University here in the States for support that they gave me. I think it's pretty common for all of us when we leave our countries as students to think that we're eventually going to go back to our countries, our home countries. But we come here, get an education, and usually we think at the time, at least that's what happened to all my cohort of fellow students, graduate students, that we all thought that we would go back eventually to our country. I think that maybe 95% of us stayed <laughs> in the States. So what happens is, first of all, that it's hard to go back because at some point you 
you're not part of that society anymore. You have been educated here. You grow up professionally in this country. And uh, going back to your home country would be probably harder than staying here. At the same time, you never feel quite at home here because you grew up somewhere else. And most of my family, in my case, are still in Spain. There were two critical steps towards feeling more at home here. One was the first time that my parents visited with me. I had been here for about three years at the time. And when they came, they didn't speak English, any English. And for the first time, I was kind of like my parents' parent. And that really changed our relationship completely. When I went back to Spain a few months later and I stayed with them, they really treated me differently. They thought of me as someone who had grown up, I guess, and who had been able to adapt to another country and be functional in another country and speak the language and, and you know, get a PhD, etc. So that was really a very special moment for me. The other moment was when I got hired at Maholio College as chair of the Spanish department because that was a professional validation that I wasn't expecting. When I first applied for jobs, I'm a Spanish teacher, Spanish professor. And so part of my job interviews were conducted in in Spanish. So in the end, I always felt that I was going back to my native language and my native culture. But when I interviewed for this position as chair of the Spanish department, the whole thing was in English. It it all happened in English because when you apply for a senior position, then things go through the senior administration and and all the interview process and everything is in English. And getting the offer and accepting the job that I had interviewed for in English, you know, I had to lay out a vision for the department. I had to demonstrate that I was capable of handling a department from an administrative point of view, not just my teaching, my research, but also just dealing with the whole academic infrastructure. For me, that was a beautiful moment. That was a moment of validation and a moment of affirmation. And a few years later, I became a U.S. citizen. But for me, I had really sort of made it, right? I had at some point felt like I was really part of this society, especially when I got that first job. I always think of my experience as an immigrant as a process of enrichment and addition as opposed to simply your traditional notion of assimilation. Because to me, assimilation sounds more like you got to lose part of who you are to become something that you're not. A lot of who I am, I try to treasure that and share it with others. I like to eat (laughs) and I like to take my time to eat. And that's something that's very important to me. And I want to make sure that my friends and my the people who surround me and sometimes even my students know that that sort of joy of life that my culture has given me i think that's something that a lot of people here in the u.s have told me that they appreciate you've just been listening to rogelio Mignana. born in buenos aires argentina alberto tito gambarini graduated from medical school there and then went on to train as a surgeon He came to the United States in 1958. It was supposed to be a short stay, a stopover, where he'd work with some doctors while he waited to study cardiovascular and thoracic surgery in France. Meeting the love of his life here 
was not part of the plan, but that's what happened, and he and she decided to make America home. After a three-decades-long career as a surgeon, Tito has gone on to pursue other loves, painting and art history. Beginning in his 60s, he studied both at the Rhode Island School of Design. Here's Tito. My name is uh, Tito Gambarini. I like to use Tito because the child name of Alberta. I came from Buenos Aires, and I came to this country by accident. I was planning to, by recommendation of my chief of surgery in Buenos Aires, to go to France and get training in cardiovascular surgery, and that was in 1957. But the contract that I get in Paris for cardiovascular surgery I had to wait about one year and a half, almost two years. One friend who was a cardiologist in Providence, and he said, why don't wait that year and a half in the United States? And I believe that in the beginning was a crazy idea, but he said, you are alone. Um, but I say, well, I am practicing with my brother, who is a pediatric surgeon, and I enjoy it, uh, working in the Department of Surgery in Buenos Aires, in Rawson Hospital. But then I have a second thought. I say, why not? I am alone. So it, uh, I called the cardiologist that was in Providence, and he said, sure, come here and stay here for six months, eight months, and I will talk with Leland Jones, which is a thoracic surgeon, so you can assist him for a period of time. It looked to me that, well, I can wait that time in the United States. And my problem was that I didn't talk any English. But anyway, doctor convinced, the cardiologist convinced me to come. And I did. So it, uh, I arrived to Providence in 1958. And I become an assistant with thoracic surgeon of name Leland Jones. And I help him, and we become some sort of friend. And he say, the rest of those year and a half that you had to wait, why don't go to the, the Philadelphia? We will talk with Dr. Thomas O'Neill, which is the chief of surgery in thoracic surgery in Tempe University Episcopal Hospital, Rush Hospital. And I did it. So I came to Philadelphia, and one night I was in the covering the emergency room. The nurse called me, it was 9 o'clock at night, and said, there is a lady with a foreign body in the eye, and she is from Argentina. So I round and stare, I remove the foreign body, and I fall in love. So we dated, we, we married, canceled the trip to France, I decided to go to Argentina and try to see if I was able to introduce all the equipment, the new equipment, for open-heart surgery. The government was a mess, was a dictatorship. I have a position in the university for teaching in medical school. I had two positions, but I never received a check because of the problems in Argentina. After one year, I decided to come back. I did my residency in in thoracic surgery, and then it, uh, I meet Dr. Harold Knight, who has training in Cleveland Clinic, and he offered me to go to Hartford to practice together thoracic and cardiovascular surgery. And Elsa, at the same time, applied as a professor in Yale University. She was accepted as a, as a student and then as a professor. 
So she teach in Yale literature, especially in Latin American literature. And I opened my practice with Harold Knight. Harold Knight died at the age of 51. It was a lot of stress at that moment in cardiac surgery. We have a lot of morbidity and a high mortality doing open heart surgery in those years. I get another two partners, a Japanese and another from Canada, and we continue to practice. Cardiac surgery in those years was very tough. One thing that happened to me, to have this thing that you get in your health when you do work such like that, continuous at uh, many hours in the hospital. So many times you stay in the intensive care unit. I lost the Japanese from a stroke, and the other guy was suffering too from the, from the stress of surgery. When I also say to me, Tito, retire, go to Rhode Island School of Design. I know that you love art. And I say, Elsa, we don't have enough. She say, Tito, I don't like to be a rich widow. So I went to Rhode Island School of Design. I was 65, 66. And I went to Rhode Island School of Design, and that was my passion. But in the School of Rhode Island Design, I learned composition, I learned the handling of color, and so on and so for two, more than two years. My father immigrated to Argentina like many men to bank money. Argentina at that moment, 1910, was a very rich country. People put money buying some land, left for Europe and came back. In five years, they were rich. My father heard that through a good friend in Milan, who was a British, convinced him to go to Argentina and make money. So my father studied the art of design in Milan and became a professional tailor. And so he decided to come to Buenos Aires. The ship that arrived to Buenos Aires was full of men. So Buenos Aires at that time, 1910, 1912, the city was predominant male. So that was my father's arrival to Buenos Aires because in the United States were family arriving to this country. But in Argentina were the men thinking about to send money and then return. My father fell in love with Argentina and never went back to Italy. Very similar to happen to me here. I love this country. You are very lucky to be in this country. I live in a country with dictatorship. As a medical student, I went to jail a couple of times, protesting the government or the dictatorship. Especially the, the first one that I have was when the government expelled from medical school Dr. Husay. Bernard Husay was a Jewish doctor, a brilliant physiologist with a Nobel Prize in diabetes. He was a teacher to us, and I became an assistant to the physiology department. And the reason that the spell Dr. Lusay was political and because he was a Jew. So we went on strike, 200 students. We closed the building, and the following morning, soldiers and policemen come with machine gun and put all of us in jail. At that time, you were not able to talk in a cafe of any place against the government. 
you were there and then suddenly you took a government government, immediately you don't know what will happen to you. That is to live in another country. I love America. I was lucky to have a wife, three children, in America. That was Tito Gambarini. Before Tito, we heard from Rogelio Mignana. To see photographs of Rogelio and Tito, and to hear all of the Words in Transit interviews, visit our website at nepr.net, where you can also learn about upcoming Words in Transit events. You can also find information about all of NEPR's podcasts at nepr.net or on iTunes. Let us know what you think about Words in Transit. Review us on iTunes or send an email to radio at nepr.net. To see additional photographs and to read transcripts of all of our interviews, see the Words in Transit book, available from the University of Massachusetts Press. Proceeds from the sale of the book benefit the Words in Transit Immigrant Scholarship Fund at Holyoke Community College. Although many of the immigrants that we interviewed are grateful for the opportunities they found here, adjusting to life in their new country can be challenging and frustrating. The culture and life in their homeland can also provide insights and lessons for us. Coming to America, I came here for a reason. Don't lose your culture and your mannerism, because with us, respect is everything. So sometimes I say I'm not happy being here because my value is not appreciated. I used to say to people, when you come to America, you can be a great person if you want, and you can be a lower person if you want. It all depends on you. Sometimes you have to forget a little bit of the past, but this past has to be your backbone to support you. Don't forget who you are. What you went through is the experience of your life. That's next time on Words in Transit. The managing director of Words in Transit is Temis Silk. The producer is Kathleen O'Keefe. And we had help in this podcast from Sara Redigieri. I'm John Vosey. Thank you for listening. Words in Transit is a production of New England Public Radio in collaboration with the Copeland Colloquium at Amherst College. (laughs) 